0: Hey gang, welcome to episode 162 of the No Pristinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles, which is currently a very messy kitchen table. Um, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Meow Wolf down in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, who this week announced that they're doing uh, their first ever dark ride up in Denver. Uh, you can find out more about that by going to their website and uh, you'll see, you know, bits and pieces of it in, in our feeds Uh item finitem, as it were. This week on the show, we have Michael Boris, the information and story architect of The 49 Boxes, which is this this singular uh, puzzle and story experience that has been taking place in first in San Francisco and then in Los Angeles, uh, and it is going to be uh, moving beyond our shores. Uh, I, well... <laughs> I consider California an island sometimes, so <laughs> the, the shores of California. I, I'm not saying they're going abroad, um, but, but they're certainly leaving our country. Um, they're going to be going around at some point. Um, and this weekend, they've got some, uh, it looks like they've got some announcements coming up about uh, the next iteration of the 49 boxes. Um, Michael's got, uh, got a great Story here about uh, how the Forty Nine Boxes came to be. Um, you know his career. Uh, he's he's worked for a company called Forty Two Entertainment for a long time. Uh, for those of you uh, who aren't familiar with them, they were instrumental in the development of the alternate reality game form. Um, there's there's just there's just so much care uh, put into the construction of this event and uh, the, the, if the devil is in the details, there's a lot of devils uh, here. (laughs) That was not scripted. I don't know where this stuff comes from. This is always extemporaneized. Um, I'm an improviser uh, at heart, as I think, I think those of you listening to the show know by now. Hey, um, We'll get, we'll get a little bit more back to the 49 Boxes in a second. We've got uh, a little bit of a tour to do. Uh, this week on the site, we've got uh, a number of reviews that have come out from uh, the L.A. area. Uh, we've also got a review coming in from the East Coast from one of our L.A. correspondents that's sitting in the edit queue right now. So hopefully that'll be up maybe even uh, over this weekend it's, uh, it's been a bit busy and crazy uh, of late in in all of my lives uh, so uh, things have slowed down this week um, not because I wanted them to <laughs> um, you know uh, that's that's the way it goes speaking of let's talk about the patreon for a second the patreon's doing 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 healthy this month uh, we are on a push to get us to 175 backers we're just two backers away We're also on a push to hit the, uh, what is it, Uh, the $1,250 a month level. We're less than $100 away. When we hit that, I am then honor bound to uh, buy the mobile rig setup that uh, Jacob Patterson uses for the Think Tank podcast, which is a really sweet little setup that's gonna make this show sound even better. So I'm honor bound to get that as soon as we hit the $1,250 and we're less than $100 away. Now, um, if uh, I'm, I'm going to like skirt around some things because I don't want to like, you know, reveal all of the ways the sausage is made. But like, um, it's, it's, I know it's going to come down to me making more appeals out in the newsletters and in the, Uh, and, and in our other feeds, just because like the math is working to the point where I think a good number of the people who listen to the podcast on, on the regular basis, uh, have jumped in, uh, the podcast, the podcast, uh, you know, uh, podcasts are interesting beasts. Um, and we have, we have traffic spikes sometimes, but, uh, you know, it's, this is a dedicated core community that listens to this and we will keep on making it, um, until no one is listening. Um, And I hope that instead uh, more and more people listen. So the strategy for this week is to get everyone to tell folks about the different stuff. So if you're a big fan of this podcast and you've got a friend who you think is interested in this stuff and um, interested in this this kind of wonky world, particularly if there's another creative, you know, please talk their ear off about it. We need uh, I want to boost the number of people who listen. Um, We do want those other two backers so in case you're out there and you've been a holdout out, I'm, I'm very serious when i say a dollar a month makes a world of difference i would be very content if everyone who you know interacted with no pro in any way shape or form just gave us a dollar a month we'd be we'd be on easy street we we really would um i'd be full-time um uh, catherine would be compensated um you know anthony and other folks would would get a little something something Um, if if people just paid for their media pay for your media folks, because look what happens when you don't pay for your media You know what i'm talking about. Oh, oh, I know you know what i'm talking about um So I pay for my media. I just want to be clear like I pay for the guardian Uh, and I pay for the los angeles times and I think about a bunch of subscriptions that i'm always like oh god I'm still paying for that. In fact, i'm canceling the atlantic because they're pissing me off Uh, but yeah pay for your media um, please Please as a media person over the love of god, please um, okay, uh, not not everyone turns into a BuzzFeed, which which seven years ago I would have been horrified to find myself saying, so, uh, that's not anything there. Patreon.com slash no Let's talk about the people who are paying for their media, who jumped in this week. Miles Cole, Steve Taseo, and a brand new sustaining backer, Mark Balthazar. Thank you guys so much. The sustaining backers of... No percent of them are now Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you all for making the show possible at all. Seriously. No joke. Meow yeah, Wolf, again, thank you for being uh, the backbeat to this band. Um, it's meant a lot that you came in this summer. And uh, looking forward to continuing that relationship uh, as long as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Okay, to the subject at hand. Michael Boris is smart. This is a smart guy. Um, I got I got to go to the Forty Nine Boxes. Uh, the current show, uh, the the most recent iteration. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be one caring for it, but the most recent iteration um, was about um, about this cat uh, Thayer who. Was the great magical contraption designer of the twentieth century, right? Um, maybe you can stretch it back, stretch stretching back into the nineteenth. Ah, it could could be, could be. Um, this guy, he's integral to the history of of magic. Uh, by which I mean, you know, uh, stage magic. Uh, last week I was talking about. Uh, Let's talk about the other kind of magic, um, and um, I'm 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 in fact now talking about uh, I'm talking about uh, you know the the stage magic kind. So, um, Floyd Thayer um, was a, a, a magical entrapment designer. Uh, he was the guy who made the stuff that everyone absolutely need to have. Um, he. He and the family behind the Magic Castle, the Larsons, did a house swap in the '40s, and uh, there's there his Thayer's home became what is now known as Brookledge, which is very you know important to to, to Magic, uh, and uh, you know, Thayer picked up in Pasadena, and uh, the way I'm doing a terrible job of this this morning. <laughs> the way this goes is. Uh, the current iteration of 49 Boxes is all about Floyd Thayer, and it's taken place in a number of locations around L.A. Um, if memory serves properly, it took place at one point at Harry Houdini's estate. It took place at Brookledge, which used to be his house. And uh, it, it kind of came to a rest at the Altadena um, uh, Columbarium Mortuary Cemetery, which is where Floyd Thayer himself came to rest. So uh, 49 Boxes, which is this elaborate series of puzzles that a whole bunch of people work on together uh, in order to unlock a final secret. Um, it, uh, the story was super site-specific and that we were they were telling a Floyd Thayer story in the place where Floyd Thayer is interred. This is this is something that, um, you know, we o- o- only we do this sort of stuff. Only immersive people do things of this nature. So um, and and just the absolute the meticulous care with which um, Fortnite Boxes is uh, constructed is really a sight to behold. Um, it's, it's something that uh, m- makes the, the, the trip out to Pasadena or wherever it's going worthwhile. Uh, and I wanted to get the full story of of how 49 Boxes came to be uh, from uh, one of the creators themselves. So here we go with Michael Boris of the 49 Boxes. For those who aren't necessarily in Southern California or California in general, because like you've done 49 Boxes in San Francisco and in L.A. at this point, could you describe what 49 Boxes is for the listening audience?
1: Sure. It's a, uh, a story-driven social experience where between 13 and 120 people get together to solve a mystery that's been hidden for over 50 years by interacting with artifacts, uh, magic tricks, and, uh, and story Uh, to unlock uh, a a box that's been uh, locked for 50 years by 19 locks from around the world. And in the end, uh, a, a giant magic trick is revealed, as well as the reason that everyone's together, which is really proving once and for all that magic is real. And it couldn't have happened without the people involved.
0: So you've been doing this for like a couple of years now, right?
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been four years that we've been doing the 49 Boxes, and the experience that you did uh, was the Golden Age of Magic, which was the third episode that we actually did, because the first one was a love story that had a unique story, had different boxes, different locks, different puzzles. The second one was a murder mystery. And so the hope is that this can go into infinity, and the 49 Boxes just acts as, a, as an umbrella over the whole thing, the way that Cirque du Soleil works in different parts of the world with different stories being told everywhere.
0: So for those who haven't done it, it's it's there's elements of I'm almost getting away from calling them escape games because, like the the whole idea that you have to escape from a room is is such a l- limiting concept. Uh, there but there are those kind of puzzling elements that you'd find in, in that kind of experience. Uh, but it is tied to more of a of a, of a social interaction uh, game. It's 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 also really different from say the scrap games which I've. Gone to, which have a lot of like paper puzzles. Like this is the the rhythm here is puzzles and magic. And so I wonder if you could kind of talk to how you wound up, and and this probably speaks to everything. So here we go. Here's the next twenty minutes of the show. How how did you come to the this intersection of puzzling and magic uh, to sort of drive the forty nine boxes?
1: That's a great question, and I and I will, as you could imagine, start at the beginning. Uh, because of my job, uh, which is uh, at 42 Entertainment as uh, a game designer, as a marketing designer, I was invited by Erica Larson and a guy named Bob Self to an elite party. And Erica Larson, if you don't know who she is, her parents actually started the Magic Castle. They lived in a home called Brookledge, which was the mecca for magic creation throughout the world. Magicians would go to this guy's house and they would. This guy would perform his newest magical illusions for Houdini and and uh, Carter and all these other guys that you see posters in my house of these guys from the twenties and the teens. Uh, at any rate, these folks knew what I did for a living and invited me to a, a, a three-day vaudevillian show at a place called the Mission Inn in Riverside, California. Mm where it is 24 7 you know sword swallowing and and singing and dancing and fire eating and magic and just the most amazing artwork that you could imagine and if you sleep during that time you have missed something wonderful so you know stay up for the three days for this thing and so after this three day uh amazing experience that my wife and i had they nudged me and they said so what do you think of this and i i couldn't help but be amazed because it's sort of the pen and tellers of the world that would come and entertain each other yeah. pretty much. And here I am, sort of like in almost like if I could imagine an Illuminati situation of, <laughs> of entertainment, here I am. And they said, Would you like to build something for next year? Because we know what you do. And I just thought, Well, I'm not really a performer, but I'd love to be part of this in some way. And I said, Yes. And so for the next 11 months, I worked my day job, and at night, I worked in my garage. And Gina, my wife, would just bring me meals. And that's really all that I did. I worked on that project. In fact, I didn't even talk to Bob. And I didn't talk to Erica for 11 months mm. until finally I invited Bob over for dinner so we could see what the original 49 boxes was. And the reason why it was called 49 boxes is because I knew there were going to be 49 guests. That's all that it was. And I've been fascinated by boxes. And I happen to have some locks. and I happen to And so I had a pile of cool stuff that I collected on my table. And I said, what can come from this? And so that's where the original love story came from. And uh, if I could, can I explain what the love story oh, is really please. quick? Okay. Please. So, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm here to just follow your line. So. If
1: you've ever been to the Mission Inn, you know that... Uh, I've
0: only seen pictures. Sadly. Holy it's smoke. gorgeous, though.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like a cross between the Hearst Castle and the Winchester Mystery House. And a Mission-style uh, hotel. Uh, that has references from uh, Germany and and, uh, Italy. and Like, if this guy traveled to uh, Asia, he came back and he built an Asian wing. He's just an incredible dude. He's a great art collector and whatever. Um, And so all the major, uh, well, all the presidents up to, I think, Reagan would spend time at this place. That would be their vacation spot, and people would get married there. People would have their honeymoons there. And stars from Hollywood would go there. And so... I thought, why not build a story around the mission in itself so that it really ties into this place so that when I talk about this alternate reality, they don't know what's real and what's not. And that's the beauty of alternate reality, isn't it? Because you don't know where that line is blurred. Yeah. And so the whole story revolves around uh, a maid that worked there for 50 years. And her favorite thing was working there at the mission inn. She only loved one thing more. And it was a, a gentleman named Hector who was a bellboy there who she appreciated from afar because relationships were not allowed by Frank Miller, the guy that ran the show there. And so every day she would write a love note that she would tuck into a box and she would leave it for him on his doorstep. And then every day he would, he would come out his door and he would look at it, he would look for whoever left it and she was in the wings somewhere hiding. He would read the poem or whatever, the drawing or whatever it was and she would feel good about herself. And then she couldn't take it anymore after months of this. And by the time she was just going to, you know, throw caution to the wind and tell him that she loved him so much, he was gone because this was 1942 and war was breaking out in Germany and he was being drafted. And so she continued doing what she knew while he was gone. By day, she would work as this maid. And by night, she would write the notes to him that she would tuck in boxes. And over years, the one box became two, the two became four, until finally you have the, uh, the 49 boxes. And as I'm talking, I have shivers about it because it means so much. And it's such a great thing, I think, because we all understand this idea of unrequited love. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we all can identify with that, you know? Um, And so she does this until she dies. And there's this main gift that she has for him. It's this ultimate love note, right? This main gift in this main box that has to be opened by everybody. And everybody's working together to do that. And the, the, the fiction is that we stumbled upon this giant crate with her name in it in the catacombs of the Mission Inn that's been sitting there for 50 years. We unlocked it and we thought, we can't figure this out ourselves. She had made this tapestry, this collage of coolness with all these people that she had met in her lives, all these famous people, all the presidents that came there who left her artifacts and and lessons that all tied into her love for Hector. So anyway, people finally solve all the mysteries. Uh, they're all different from what you experienced in the Golden Age of Magic uh, version of this. But inside that main box is a letter from the army that was never opened. And it's a Western Union style that whoever unlocked the last lock gets to unlock, uh, open up and rip it up, rip it open. And it's, we regret to inform you that Hector Ramirez was shot in battle and he died in Germany. But his last words were to give Maria Mato this note. And it's a handwritten note, it's scratchy, it has some blood on it, and the note says, I always knew that it was you who was sending me, who was giving me those letters. And I loved you just as much, but I knew that I had to go off to war. I knew it was going to happen, but I couldn't put you through that just in case I couldn't come back. But it was your letters that kept me alive as long as it did, and I'll love you forever. Hector. And there's a note from Maria to the players that she knew that he was dead, even without reading that note, even without reading the the letter from the army. And it was the fact that the letter was kept closed, the fact that she was able to write these letters for 50 years after he was gone that kept him alive and her love alive. And the fact that these people would do this keeps their love alive forever. And then there was a a song that she had written for him that the person unveils in the last bit. And right before she starts reading what the song is, my wife, Gina, who had, read, uh, who had written the song, plays in the wings with a violinist the song. And it's this beautiful song about a secret love that can never be uh, satisfied. And men and women are crying in this thing. And it was then that we realized, my wife and I, that we had this interesting vehicle for telling any story. It's not just a love story. It can mm-hmm. be anything. And then that's where uh, the idea for having that as an umbrella to, to go on to the future. It was supposed to be a one-off. Right. No one was ever supposed to participate in these things ever again. But we were invited back, which is very special because it's a special party. And that's when they said, could you do the same thing again? And I said, I don't want to do the same thing. I want to bring in my creative partner, Alex Liu, who I've been working with for 20 years at Disney and Warner and 42 now. And that's why we started doing the, the murder mystery. And then the reason to, to go back to answer your question about magic it was because we started to develop such a relationship with Erica Larson, who's the queen bee of magic, really, who puts all of the magic community together at the Magic Castle at her home. And throughout the world, we realized that if we were to tie into the stories of her past, her family, her home, and the Magic Castle, that it would hit a lot of nerves. It would, it would excite people who like puzzles, who like games, who like story, who like magic, who like just almost uh, a, a museum of things. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like the perfect uh, collision of cool things, and that really is the long answer to your question of why magic.
0: We do the long. We do the long answer on this show, so don't. worry. <laughs> um, well, and so and so the golden age of magic, which is the current incarnation of forty nine boxes, it focuses on Floyd G. Thayer,
1: That's right. who
0: who's a, a real guy, and was I guess for for lack of a better term, he was he was he was a designer. Uh, a designer of magical contraptions, something that, that would be used by performers, and was sort of like the, the, the top, the top of his craft at was the time. the greatest yeah.
1: of the golden age of magic for sure. And he would build these things to like the precision is insane to the point that people have a hard time replicating that today with modern tools. Mm. And he was just doing a lot of by by eyeball, <laughs> or like if, imagine uh, wheels that he was spinning with it. You know, he was turning it with his feet by pushing a pedal rather than even just pushing a switch and it would always go at a, at a constant rate, he was able to get better precision just with his foot, you know, pushing the pedal at the right sp- uh, pace. He was a genius at what he was doing. He was a true genius. There may never be another one like him again. So
0: how did you, was it, did you know about him and did you know about all that kind of stuff before you were connected to the Larsons? I, it feels to me like you knew a lot about magic, before. no.
1: I knew you should, nothing. You knew nothing. Well, I'll, I'll say this: I, I, you know, I've always had magic sets, and I've always played with cards. I didn't. I knew nothing about the history. I knew nothing about Floyd Thayer until I was tapped. See, to go to Brookledge, you have to be tapped by Erica to go to her home and see a show that's put on by other performers. You can't buy tickets to go there. You can't just go there. Period. You can go to the Magic Castle, yet it is it's exclusive because because any magician can just have you come as a guest. Right. This is different. This is a step deeper, way deeper. And so I didn't know anything about it until I went into the house. It's
0: about being a family friend essentially. It's
1: like, yeah, you can't just like show up at someone's
0: house and like perform, have your people perform for me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it was because of the original Fortnite boxes that she said, I want you to come and be my guest at a very special show. And then magicians came and just blew our minds. But when you walk into this place, you really feel the history. There's something there's just tingles that just happen. And so when that happens, I brought Alex there. Mm. And then we started researching. And that's when it was just natural. It was just like, this has to be the next incarnation of it. It has to involve her. And we talked to her about it. And we asked her if it was okay. We wouldn't just do it without her permission. And so it has her blessing, which is great. And because of that, that home, uh, Brookledge, is actually the home of the show. That is the most special place for us to be because that's where Thayer lived. You experienced it at a place where Thayer was buried. Right. Which is also an interesting place. But really, it isn't as... Tied as the place where he actually created and performed, which is the home, the Brooklyn. It's amazing.
0: Although it's it is sort of fascinating that because of the geography of Southern California, you're able to have you're able to have Brooklyn. You're able to have you know the you know, mountain views in in Altadena where he's laid to rest. You're able to have the Houdini estate to the to, Magic Castle too. And you have the Magic Castle to to play with. As settings, and you've done Fortnite boxes in in all of those spaces.
1: Yeah, and it, it wasn't by mistake. that no. you know we choose those places. That and that's that's it too. Like our favorite thing to do is make the location as important as the show, and tie it together as well as as well as we can.
0: What is it about telling stories? particularly fictional stories in the places where they could have really taken place. What is it about that?
1: I think it goes back to blurring the lines between reality and, uh, and what, you, what you make up. I love that people don't know what it is that they're playing with that really is Thayer's and what is not. It's the truth that when we say all the things behind us on the stage are all Thayer things that are 80 years old, please don't touch them because they're very brittle. We never say the things on your tables are all that way. Some of them are, but some of them are not because we've actually built a lot of that stuff ourselves to make it look like he did. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it is so ingrained in the location means that it's all possible. That's, I think, the important thing. If we were just working in a, uh, in a Kleenex box, and when I say that, I mean like a, a conference room, and we have done that, it's special. You know, We make it look different than it was, but it doesn't have that same oomph. It doesn't have that same feel as what you experience at the mausoleum.
0: How much of that uh, impulse is an influence of your work at 42 Entertainment, and how much of it is something you carried before you were even doing that kind of work?
1: I think, I think it's all from 42, to be honest. I have to give 42 credit for that. We had a lot of, op- I mean, I've been there for 12 years. You know, we've done a lot of projects together, right? We've had a lot of opportunity to, I don't want to say fail, not succeed as much as other times. And what we've learned from the big successes was that when it feels more real in the way that we're talking, there's something emotional that people take with them that they'll never forget. Mm. And that's, and I, I don't know whether you can tell, but while we're doing it, it truly is as much for us as it is for the other people doing, you know, doing our, our games. It's, it's so rewarding to see that. I, I, I'm not bored of it. I'll tell you that. I love it. It's my favorite thing that we've ever designed. I'll say that.
0: How much... Oh, another kitty's coming. Uh, how much... We are blessed by cats on this episode. So if I get suddenly distracted, it is all because of cats. And they are fluffy, and they are stripy, and those are my favorites. Hello. Who is that? That is Malinka. Malinka. Hello, Malinka. Um, <laughs> half the audience just went, oh, God, no one, cats. The other half, half went, kitty. Um, how much about performing magic did you and Alex have to learn for this iteration of 49 boxes? Because there's points where you guys are performing tricks, doing gags.
1: That's a good question. So um, a dream of mine when I uh, moved out here after seeing the magic castle was simply to have parts of my home that looked like it could have been in a magic castle or have the, the magic posters, you haven't been downstairs yet to see that there's an awful lot of things that are in there that are definitely influenced by them. At the Mission Inn, uh, we were going to be at Magic Live 10 times. Imagine doing the sh- that show 10 times in two days with a reset. Oof. It's, it's outrageous. But when we had the opportunity, we wanted to do it. My thing was, I want to be a magician member of the Magic Castle to make it more real. And so I started to train sort of heavily. And so I did as much research as I could, and I wound up having having my uh, audition, and I'm I'm a magician member of the Magic Castle as a result of it. If it wasn't for this project, that wouldn't have happened, but it's a dream of mine that I never knew I had or that I could actually attain, right? I think that answers your question. A lot of work went into learning an awful lot of stuff, and then that's why I think a lot of the pieces that we have uh, even fool magicians because we don't come from this as being magicians to begin with. So we're sort of inventing and using a lot of the tricks that we would use in past uh, campaigns that we've done. And we're doing things differently because we don't know the rules. We can make something that looks slightly different than what another magician uh, or how another magician handles it. I hope that answers your question.
0: That does. Part of the storytelling here, part of the performing of the magic, um, it's, it's more than... About sleight of hand, and sleight of hand comes into it. The the mechanical effects come into it, but there's there's an approach to bringing people into an alternate story world that that is critical for this kind of work. What's your approach to sort of setting the table and inviting people into uh, an alternate universe?
1: You don't you don't mean for uh, how we market our own our own project. You mean, as soon as someone comes into the door and they're seated into that chapel. Yeah. Uh, what is or, it that or we do want they, them or, to do?
0: Or do they play together? I mean, does it start at the beginning? Does it start with the marketing?
1: Well, I don't think that we've done like we're, we're sort of known for doing hyper marketing right. for product and movies. We haven't done any marketing for this. This has been completely word of mouth and that's been on purpose for a couple of different reasons. We like keeping it very underground for now. Anyway, um, because every time that we do the show, we learn if we're not learning and making it better then we're doing something wrong, you know, after a few times of doing it. Right. I don't know that it's ready yet for a four walled experience that is having a whole season in a place yet. Cause what you saw is different from what it was even two months ago. Mm. For example, the finale that yeah. we do with the, the hanger. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't there before. So there are th- things that we're doing that we still want to do to make it better. To answer the question about when people come in, we purposely do a bait and switch. You sort of read a little bit about, oh my gosh, this thing is so complex, it's so big, it's so whatever. We purposely put you all in that little room to make you think, this is nothing. I feel like I'm in church and I'm just watching one gentleman at the front do a couple magic tricks. Then we discombobulate you by walking you through the mausoleum until finally it's that the curtain is revealed and it's like the hope is that, oh my gosh. This really is as big as I thought it was going to be. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: That I think I hope that I think that answers your question. We want that. We don't want to disappoint you at first, but we want there to be that curtain opening. Yeah. Of holy crap, this is this is amazing.
0: Misdirection at the level of story and the level, yes. level of traversal, right? Yes, Which I think, exactly. And, and the mausoleum gives you that option in, in a way that a lot of other spaces might not necessarily no. because. I mean it's huge like anyone who's any, anyone who's been there and there's a fair number of shows that like use it like know yep. exactly how windy it is yes and and it i think i've gone there enough times now that i have a fairly good layout of the place but i'm pretty sure that uh, it's still possible to get lost there even if you've been there a dozen times because there's just unexpected nooks and crannies um which is one of the fun things about like older mausoleums is they they have that effect, particularly when people decide to throw in a couple of different styles of architecture. For sure, um, yeah, got it. I got it. I gotta got love a good columbarium. When you've you've done this both in the Bay Area and down here, so um, um, what's the Bay Area connection? Out of curiosity, since I'm from the Bay, so I'm always well.
1: I'll tell you, we we've actually done it in New York. Mm-hmm. We've done it uh, in Texas. We've done it. Uh, uh, in Vegas, like I mentioned. But the, the, the Bay Area connection is this. Uh, after the first time we did the show, my wife, and I did, my wife and I did the show, Mark Fraunfelder and Jason Weisberger of Boing Boing happened to be there. I didn't know those guys then. But they approached me afterwards and they said, well, number one, this was interesting. We've never seen anything like this. And they said, we kind of like your curation abilities of weird stuff. Would you mind oh, they're all about that. Yeah. being a guest Being a guest writer? for a couple weeks and just write about whatever you want. You know, set people hip to neat things that you like, we don't care what it is. Just a paragraph if, if you want, just five or six uh, articles. And I said that I would love to do that, because I, I love them, I would read them every day. Um, and then as soon as they turned around, I looked at my wife and I said, they're not gonna be paragraphs, I'm gonna go crazy. <laughs> I, actually took, I actually took two weeks off of work. I took my vacation then and there. And I think I wrote 40 articles. And they were pretty, some of them were pretty big. And they ranged from just things I loved as a kid, things how I, how I feel. There was some almost Onion-like articles. I wanted to just bombard them. I just wanted to have a shock and awe of, here's a whole mess of stuff because you're not going to allow me to do this ever again. It was my same thing <laughs> with the 49 boxes, right? Yeah. So I took those two weeks. That's all I did. And it wasn't even really for pay. It was just that it was just... You were writing for Boing Boing, exactly. And if you've been reading for Boing Boing for as long as Boing Boing, you been understand around. completely. Oh, no, absolutely, completely. Oh, and, and no. so viscerally, it, I understand. Yeah. yeah, it was dream satisfaction at that at that point. And then, so because of that, we became very good friends. Like Mark Fraunfelder's now in my magic group, you know, that we <laughs> hang out with, and and Jason's been a friend who was a member of a place called the Battery in San Francisco mm. it's really cool I'll call it a bar but it's a, almost like a museum it's, like, it's almost like a, a rich kids hangout right. you know where you have to pay dues just to eat there and they have shows there and they have secret rooms behind bookcases that have you know a book that you if you know the secret thing you can go in there and play some poker you know and so we went there to meet and Jason said this would be a great place to have your show do the Maria love story and we said we want to make one completely new for this place that 's why there was the murder mystery, and it 's actually about the place itself because the battery is actually built off of an old candy shop that was there that was built soon after like the gold rush and it was like one of the first candy shops there, the musto uh, euclid candy company and uh, that 's what the whole show is about the whole show is about these two brothers one's a black sheep, one is a good guy, and you know there's a murder, and uh, it was just this exciting thing and so that's where we uh, first had our, our showing there. and We did ticketed shows there. We came here to LA. We did it several times. And that's when we realized that we can now build something that can be a ticketed show and it can actually be a business. Because yeah. before that, it was just something that we were just doing because it was just passion and I had some stuff. But I'll tell you, Noah, that by that time, I, run out, I ran out of stuff. Hmm. I no longer had boxes. I didn't have any locks. <laughs> I didn't have whatever. But the cool thing that was happening is that Guests who would come to the show would approach me afterwards and they would say, you know what, I've been collecting locks with my wife for 40 years. We never knew why. Give me your address. And so people started sending me boxes of locks, boxes of boxes. And
0: you do have some weird locks. Yeah. And these, these are sourced from, from the community?
1: Well, a lot. I'll say a lot of them No, yeah. now. Now I have become a collector. The way that I became a magician, right. now I've become obsessive about I'm always on the boards. I'm always at auctions now. I'm always I always have my eye out, and people will now will email me from all over the world and say, "I saw this thing. You must bid on," and so that's how I'm getting a lot of that stuff. And believe it or not, some of those locks are now homemade, because somebody actually gave me a book, a special book, a magician's book on how to make cool locks that are special, like really. Spe- and there's a very short run of this.
0: Have you always been the kind of person who, who like? Found a new craft hobby and this dove oh, straight into it. Oh, forget it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When did that start? Where? where I was where a child.
1: Were, I was a small child.
0: What was the first thing? Do you remember what the first? The yeah, first it was it
1: was pool, it was playing Billions. pool. That was my thing. Yeah. Oh my and goodness. I and, and I I'm a, I'm a 49 year old dude. You're we're about you're you're older, younger than me, right? A little bit. A little bit. When I was young, I really looked young, and I didn't have to shave until just recently. Yeah. Like honestly. Yeah. And so, if I went into a pool hall with my t-shirt and my jeans and my sneakers people thought I was very young and I was like I would just pretend like I didn't know what was going on but I was actually trained by a couple of world champions in Detroit I'm pretty darn good and so that was my first super obsession was being in CD pool halls and learning from really good people and then that's how I put myself through school it was waiting tables and playing pool <laughs> so that's a that's a good question it was a, what was the first thing it was that and I, I love juggling and but I I I go, I get to the point where I just get excited about the next glistening thing. And it was only until uh, 42 Entertainment that I started doing the puzzle stuff. Because I really wasn't doing that until I met Alan Lee. Mm. When Alan Lee and Jordan Wiseman, who you know, yeah. when they opened the playbook to me of how they think about things, that it changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. Because before I was making games for Disney and Warner. But they were different. It was complete, as you know. Yeah. When you're when you're doing games on a on a phone, you know, it's a different puzzle mechanic than if you're doing an MIT puzzle hunt style. Right. But my problem with MIT puzzle hunts is that it's not accessible to everybody because even if they can get it, it's very frustrating, I think. And so I try to dial it back and and make it almost it's almost a tutorial while you're doing it. And it's right. a magical experience as you're doing it. Whether you really solved it or not, you're solving it. Right. and i feel like it makes everybody feel smart and you need that if you've got a show that lasts an hour and a half and it must be completed every time unlike a room escape where there's failure possible yeah. you know this i never want failure i just want people to feel good at the end and they all did something together and everybody leaves as friends yeah
0: the pool the pool hustler to the magician like i mean it makes it makes total sense there's something about there's something about puzzles and magic and pool and the, the whole devils in the details and the, the way of just seeing the world, being able to, and the one thing that's always frustrated me with pool, like I love the process of playing pool, but I just, I can't see the angles on, on the table. Like I know how it's supposed to go, but and I know the angle of incidence is the angle of reflection, yada, 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 but I just can't see it.
1: Is it because no one's ever told you and showed you?
0: No one's ever, like, walked through and, and shown me, shown me. Like, I've, 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 other than, like, a video game, right? So, like, I've seen video games, like, yeah. show it and try to, like, you know, use the stick to make the shadow and everything. And so there's, there's every once in a while, I just get, like, a little tiny bit yeah. of, of that double vision. But there's a kind of double vision to seeing the world as a puzzler or, or oh as my an gosh, angular.
1: Yeah. And it, it'll, I'm obsessed by that. And I'm sort of obsessed by making experience out of anything, mm. right? I, mean, I mentioned before having a pile of stuff on a table and saying, "What is? What are the connections between these items? And what is the story that comes out of them?"
0: Is part of the storytelling in 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 this kind of puzzling and puzzle storytelling, alternate reality, is is getting people to follow the path that led you to seeing the connection. Oh my
1: gosh, yeah. Of course. That's a that's a really good way to put it, I think. Yeah, because some of these things are so disjointed. Did you by chance see the experience where someone had with the owl on the uh, the chain?
0: I heard it, it's the owl and it boils and it boils away. I didn't get to see it. Okay. I heard I heard a tale of it.
1: Because it's the it's the thing what you're talking about is like why do I have a bunsen why am I boiling water while I'm solving this puzzle? Right. Why do I have this locket that I don't, you know, I, I and then, like you said, it's like once you've figured out the puzzle that tells you what to do with the thing, then it's like, oh, of course, that's why I had the, the fire, and that's why I had the block of wood, and I and I had that locket, and it, that's a beautiful thing. There's like these aha moments of, it's just a magical occurrence. That wasn't even a magic trick, but it's a magical occurrence, and that's that's really important. I think that's even more important, I think. Than me doing a trick for somebody, the fact that you're doing it.
0: Yeah, that's, well, and, and that—that's one thing that's interesting about about it, is that sometimes it was a matter of you guys coming in and doing an effect, and sometimes it was us getting to explore explore the pieces. Yeah. Um, what's your What's your sort of ideal for the show in that regard? Is it to be as participatory as possible? Is it to be the people almost like figuring out the effects for themselves?
1: Have you done Sleep No More? Of course you have. Yeah, a couple right? of times, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were you ever pulled aside as one of the lucky people into a room and had a bespoke experience or seen someone pull the side? You know what I'm talking about, I right? know. You
0: know one, a one-on-one. I've had one-on-ones at other shows. I haven't had a full-on one-on-one. The closest I got was Lady M whispering something to me, one of those rare occurrences when they actually talk.
1: I did the show twice, mm-hmm. right? And both times I saw someone being pulled away and I thought... That is awesome for mm-hmm. that person. That's fantastic. I don't even know what that person looks like, so I can't even talk to them about it. Right. I wish it was me. Why can't <laughs> it be me? And so when I saw that show, I thought, let's make the whole show that. Let's let everybody have this special experience that they can then talk to everybody else so they knew... They know I know what you look like. You know what I look like. I know what you did, but I didn't get a chance to do it. So that we have this communication afterwards. And if I want, I come to the show again and I experience exactly what you experienced. If it meant something to you, lean into that beauty that I could not do in New York, but make the whole show that. So,
0: no, I know I know exactly what you mean completely. Because when I went, have you done then she fell. No Oh so, uh, so so I call My terminology for Sleep No More Is that it's a sandbox Because like a sandbox video game You go yeah. And everything's on a track And just where you went Open work Exactly uh, I refer to Then She Fell As so a dark ride Like a dark ride at Disneyland And that it's all it's Everything's tracked You're on a track uh, There's like I think there's five initial starting points in it and a lot of the sequences repeat and there's, there's acts. So like, you know, things repeat a couple of times and based on where you start determines your pathway through. But you will not necessarily see everything. And so you can have that kind of compare and contrast with folks, but you also know that if you return and go sit somewhere else in the initial room, you will go on a different pathway and you will inevitably unlock at least one thing you didn't see before. That's beautiful. Yeah. That mm-hmm. and that show's been running for a while. So next time you get out to New York, uh, I recommend. Anyway. And but but that that impulse that yeah that, those moments where you're you're having that connection with a performer or you're having a connection with the space, uh, the aha moments, right? Like I think creative people, you know, seek aha moments, seek epiphanies. Um, there's something to this entire form of work whether it's puzzle based or purely narrative based and performance-based uh, is about creating peak experiences, creating epiphanies not just as a, not just in the sense of like you know reading a portrait of an artist as a young man and seeing oh here's here he is going through an epiphany, but you yourself having an epiphany because you've put it all together. you're the detective in the murder mystery and it's like, ah yes, now I know what the answer must be uh, and that's. If you've got a certain type of brain, and I think I think most people have a brain tuned this way, like there's there's nothing better, there's nothing better than that moment.
1: I agree. I agree. You you've been in the show. You've experienced it. There's this as soon as those boxes are open at the beginning, mm-hmm. it's like you may now begin exploring your artifacts. There is silence for five minutes because people are just confused. They don't know what it is that they have, and then I feel like. It's chaos, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because they're just sort of starting to understand that I need you and you need me and we need them and we've got to get together. And I'm not even sure whether I need those people over there and I might fail in that moment. But then things start clicking like you're saying. Things start clicking and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. People want to make order of the disorder naturally. You know what's interesting? When we were trying to take pictures of people... And find, like, the joy moments, because the joy moments come as the ha-ha moments that you mentioned. It was very difficult for us to take a picture of anybody who wasn't scowling, <laughs> whether they were having a good time or not, because they were focused. They are hyper-focused. And so the first runs that we did, the first few shows were like, no one's having fun doing this. But it's because you need to wait until the aha ha moments right. come. You know, and yeah, it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thing. But they want to make that happen naturally. They want to succeed. They want to be smart and uh, I think at first people are afraid to make ch- take chances, but by the end, they're all all bets are off. Well, there's the
0: the design of the stuff is such that it feels like you're. It- <laughs> It's wrong to say it feels like everything's gonna fall apart if you handle it too roughly, but it does. Like, like you've got these beautiful leather boxes. You've got, there's these little velvet pillows where things are on and you pull them out and you're like, should I even be holding this right now? And then there is everything that's in the, the archive where it's like, we're the only ones who can handle it. So there's this sense of fragility. Um, which I definitely think like kind of keeps you on a little bit of of, of toes. And there's, you know, there's things that are wood and glass and and yeah. metal. You know, the metal syphilis is, is sturdy, but we're also in a mausoleum, and you know, we're surrounded by the dead, and we want to be respectful. And so there's there's this heightened
1: this heightened sense of reality right from the jump. There's an interesting thing about what you just said because when we were doing this show at first mm-hmm. for magicians, the concern that everybody had was, People are going to steal this stuff because it's rare. They're one-offs. Right. But the fact that we start off with these things means so much to us. We have curated this. It is a lifetime of collecting. No one has stolen anything. Hardly anything gets broke. Things get written on, you know, pieces of paper, but that's it. We are really surprised at the fact that nothing has been walked off with. Yeah. And we, we can't believe it. We have, like, I'll take you into my uh, my dungeon in a little bit. It doesn't <laughs> sound great. Not that kind of dungeon. Yeah. But um, you'll see that, base, that base. We, <laughs> we have replacements for certain things that we've never had to use in 49 shows. We've done it the 49th time uh, this last weekend, which is kind of neat. Oh, nifty. Never has anybody stolen anything, which is great.
0: Well, I mean, that's, I think... Some of that's the, the key key underground. I do know that there are people who collect things from immersive experiences that they're not supposed to. But like, I think there's something to. I think that people know that these things are are tuned in a way that if you remove a piece, that the whole thing is going to break down. Yeah. So, well, and and, I mean, maybe this is something you don't want to spoil, but like, it seems to me like there might be some alternate paths through. Oh, yes. Um, 249? For yeah. sure.
1: As a matter of fact, this show can grow and shrink depending on how many people show up. Mm. If, you know, we've done it for an elite group of 13 for a dinner party at a mansion where we only bring, you know, seven or eight threads. The experience that you saw had 17 of our 21 threads. So, the, the show you know bloats and, and shrinks depending on how many people are going to be there
0: how, how does that reflect uh, affect the design of I imagine almost because you've got things where the tables interact with each other uh, and you've got some layering of puzzles how does that how does that reflect sort of the relationship design to, to have these different threads
1: it doesn't at all because mm. because there's a there's a main uber story that you know it's right. the guy it's okay that I give away the fact that this is a recreation of his own memorial service. Right. These boxes were meant for all the people that he loved most, who he knew would be at his own funeral. We are recreating that. At the end, there is the payoff for the whole thing. It almost doesn't matter what happens in between, but there are little mini stories that happen in threads that you experienced that everybody else didn't experience. Mm-hmm. But your experience didn't suffer because you didn't know theirs. Right. So, if two or three of those were removed, it wouldn't matter, and that's why we believe that this can contract and expand as needed. No matter what, it's nineteen locks that get removed from the box in the end. Can I give you an Easter egg as to why it's nineteen? Yeah. So, you know, in storytelling, there are, there are a few different stories that you can tell, right? There's murders and love stories, and there are only a few. Mm-hmm. In magic, supposedly, this guy uh, Fitchky said that there are nineteen different magical effects. You know, you got your mentalism, your appearances, your disappearances, 19 of them. Well, in this show, this is the first time that all 19 are happening at the same time Mm. because of the audience. If it wasn't for the audience, they could not have been happening simultaneously the way that they do. Magicians can't do that by themselves on stage. Right. Which is another reason why this cannot happen without the audience.
0: See, that's, for me, is like the ultimate test of material in this immersive experiential space, right? Is if the production could be run without an audience, right? If you could just wind it up and set it off and it's just just the design team watching, and if nothing changes because of it. Uh, something like Sleep No More, like just at the outer edges, like hits that check mark because of the the one-on-ones, right? You could, you you wouldn't really have like, the the actor would just be like miming. They might just be in the yes. room, which is what of course everyone does when they're rehearsing. Yeah. But to really get the show, you must have the people there because it's about the traversal <laughs> through, <laughs> or the like, right. inter- interaction and 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 that's that for me is the ultimate litmus test for whether or not something is quote unquote immersive when we talk in the in the big sense. It's gotta have the audience and the audience, not just in the sense of the way that an audience changes the energy for performers on stage but but actually changes the contents of the production by whether they're there or not
1: I agree with you completely that's really well put that's really really well put thanks yeah for sure
0: I spent I spent my time obsessing over how to talk about this stuff so <laughs> that's, that's my that's my obsession yeah um, what's your what's the so you've talked about the possibility of, of, of maybe one day four walling it um you guys have put, this is the third iteration. You've, you've put a lot of effort in so far. What, what do you see as the destiny for 49 by? What's your dream here?
1: Here's the dream. Um, that we have at least three four-walled locations in the United States. One in New York, let's say. One in Seattle. One in LA. And the show runs as a, as a season, three to four months. After the three to four months, the three shows rotate.
0: Hmm.
1: So that L.A. now has the love story because they used to have the magic story and then it becomes the murder mystery. And so it could always be fresh and always be moving. And unlike most magic shows, unlike most, I would assume, escape rooms, I am not the personality. Like I said, it's the things and it's the people. I do not need to be there. It could be a talented magician or performer that is the host that shepherds the whole thing. That is... My dream where I'm not doing it anymore because really what I think, I don't think I was born to perform. I think I was born to design and to build. And I love it. Believe me, I love doing the thing, but I'm not getting as much done as I would otherwise. My dream is to have someone else doing it in three different places and seeing if it can become a business.
0: There it is. That's cool. Michael, how can people find the 49 boxes? If you go
1: to 49boxes.com, you can see the upcoming shows that are happening in Los Angeles and other places throughout the country, and we're working on that right now. When you go there now, there are no tickets to be purchased because we have a couple of big things that are happening that I can't talk about that will uh, be mini seasons of content that are going to be happening in LA and elsewhere in the, in the country. Right now, we're doing uh, live shows and, and special events for corporate events, which Frankly, it pays better, but I don't like it as much as doing the ticket events with people in L.A. and people. It's it's not the same yeah. as doing it for presidents of companies and like that. Yeah. But that's what we're doing now.
0: Yeah. I mean, everyone everyone pays the bills yeah. with that kind of work. Yeah. So I mean, literally everyone pays the
1: bills with that kind of work.
0: Yeah. Um, Michael, thank you so much for having me over. Are you uh, kidding? And um, yeah, I'm sure this is the beginning of conversations.
1: Thank you very much. It was great. great talking to you.
0: Once again, I want to thank our guest Michael Boris of 49 Boxes for letting us into his home. Uh, you could hear the, the dryer was going the entire time. I only realize that now. <laughs> like, I didn't notice it at all when we were recording. Um, hey, look, we we bring you realistic uh, recording experiences here at No Fresenium. Uh Fully immersive. Uh, next time, we'll do one in a dryer. Actually, when we go to Meow Wolf, yeah, when we go to Meow Wolf, I'll, I'll interview Vince in the dryer. Maybe only for a couple of minutes, but we'll, we'll make sure that happens. You can find 49boxes at 49boxes.com, and indeed, according to Michael, and we've been holding on this for a couple, uh, that there should be announcements this weekend about the next iteration of 49boxes, and I am pretty stoked about what that's going to be. Uh, It's not my place to tell you, but look to the feeds. As soon as it's known, uh, it'll be all over our feeds. I'm excited for them. Um... I'm excited for us. I'm excited for everybody. It's an exciting time. Speaking of exciting times, uh, 2-Bit Circus is about to open up. Um, and uh, that's something you can read on the website this week is uh, my previews. And for those of you, gosh, I really should have mentioned this at the beginning. Uh, for those of you who don't get the Irregular, I think I've unlocked the Irregular for this week. Uh, we had one. Um, <laughs> amazing. $5 backers are like, oh, finally. Um <laughs> Which I recorded on the day that I saw went to Stupid Circus. But I want everyone to be able to listen to that. So I've unlocked that on the Patreon. There's a reason to go to the Patreon. Uh, I could splash that around. See, it's smart. Uh, it's smart marketing for those of you who are concerned. It's like, no, you don't take care of yourself. It's like, yeah, I don't. I really don't. I don't take care of myself at all. Um, golly gee willikers. There's so much to talk to you guys about. Um, but i got to get to work in a little bit here. Uh, so go to the website please read the stuff we've been writing it's good uh kevin gossett has come on uh to be uh suddenly like a a major writer for us here uh reviewer in in los angeles he had like two pieces this week um i'm super stoked to have him on board um like there's there's rigor to what he's doing um uh uh, anthony uh, went into captivated uh, I got something waiting from Lauren Bellow, uh, but it's not, not a Los Angeles piece. Uh, she's, she's an Angelino, but it's, it's from elsewhere. Um, that's in my inbox. I can't wait to get a hold of that. Catherine's holding it down. She's had some kind of conference She was like in a VR conference thing this week. Uh, looking forward to talking to her about that um, Anthony and Catherine and I we recorded an episode a little while back and um, we're gonna we're gonna air that next week So it's just gonna kind of be us and it'll probably like take some room to like blather, uh in it as well Kind of a flashback to where our thinking was a month ago. Um jeez, uh what what to focus on? Um, yeah, I'd I'd like to know that myself these days. Uh, here's here's what I wanna here here's you know we'll, we'll keep it light right now. Spooky season's coming. There's a lot of stuff on the horizon. Uh, Creep just announced that they're gonna be at the Row DTLA. Very excited about that. Delusions coming. Um, they're gonna be Mid City. Uh, Theater Macabre is uh, spinning up. Um, and we'll get to talk to Darren and everybody soon. They're on, they're on a PR blitz, uh, and, and, you know, hoping that goes really good for them. Um. (laughs) I like stuttered there. I'm like, how do I explain? Like, like God, do do good, guys. Um, like, let's get this thing out there. Like these big shows mean a lot to the community. So um, and, and in multiple ways, right? So we've got these four, we've got this big permanent venue opening in the form of Two-Bit Circus. We've got our three biggest shows from 2016 are all back in a sense, right? I mean, like Theater Macabre is not tension, but it's the tension team. Um, Delusion hasn't been around since 2016. And if all of you in Southern California remember what 2016 was like, it was like, oh my God. And just it was peak, peak, peak. So we're back. We're back. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. Uh, Leia's brewing some more workshops and whatnot. You know, we're going to lie low during spooky season because um, everyone's making work. Uh, so expect some more from the creator side, uh, come November. Uh, I can say that, uh, with a a fair degree of certainty here. Um, and yeah, uh, elsewhere in the country, uh, and, and in Canada, uh, the North American newsletter is just popping off all the time. There's all this work happening in Denver now. Um, really check out the North American, uh, for that. Uh, We've got uh, Beyond uh, happening uh, thanks to uh, Factory uh, Factory Obscura out in Oklahoma City. We've got Bricklage doing stuff out in Pittsburgh. We've got work going on in the Northeast. Chicago's popping off with a lot of haunt-related stuff this season. I mean, it's just undeniable that... This is moving forward. I just got to hang out uh, a couple of times with David and Lisa of Room Escape Artists this week. They gave a talk here in L.A. yesterday. Uh, just the sheer breadth of work happening in that world, in the escape room world. Just major, major, major. So, um, you know, I should get them on. The, get, they're here in town. I should probably steal an hour of time with them to to podcasterate. Um, What? What did I just say? I haven't had enough coffee. Look, um, yeah. Anyway, I'm no longer making sense to myself, so we're going to stop this part of the show. Let's do the credits, shall we? All right, let's do that. The, oh, I just spilled coffee on myself. That's brilliant. Luckily it was not very hot. I had to let it cool down. My dental work yesterday. Maybe, you know what? Let's blame this one on the Novocaine. Um, okay. (laughs) Okay. The music for No Priscinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Priscinium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. We are also, of course, brought to you in part, in large part, by Meow Wolf in santa fe new mexico and soon in other locations as well you can contact us uh if you have a show to pitch us about pitches at no also if you want to get involved um we are always on the lookout for people who would like to write for us Uh, Something we don't make a huge amount of noise about, but it is true. We're looking for folks in places that we don't normally cover. Uh, And we're also always looking for some backup folks in places where we do. Um, There are no perks. (laughs) It's also why I don't go crazy recruiting all the time, because it's like, uh, I can publish you. Bitches at com. We are at noprosinium on Twitter, also the same on facebook we are at no underscore on instagram i'm at noah j nelson on the twitter um, patreon.com slash no is where you help us out and like i say a dollar a dollar a month means the world um seriously like please just that much okay that's it until next time i'll see you at the show